0: All right, so this morning we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 11 to start. So I'm reading through Jeremiah, hence that's why we're going to look at Jeremiah. I'm up through chapter 15, and so we're just going to look at some of the Some things prior to, well, up to chapter 15, a little bit beyond. I have entitled this, The Dissolution of Personal Nationalism. The Dissolution of Personal nationalism. Nationalism. So, I'll explain that in a minute. We're going to start in chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 18, and we're going to read through 12.6. All right, so Jeremiah 11.18. And Yehovah hath given me knowledge of it. And that is, go back to verse 17, God's really upset with the people. They've been into idolatry and all this bad stuff, and God's going to bring judgment upon them. So 18, and Yehovah, Yehovah hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showedst me their doings. But, Jeremiah speaking, I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. But, O Yehovah of hosts, Thou judgest righteously, thou triest the reins and the heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore thus saith Yehovah of the men of Anathoth, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of Yehovah, that thou die not by our hand. Therefore thus saith Yehovah of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. Righteous art thou, O Yehovah, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments." Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Jehovah, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed and the birds, because they said, He shall not see our last end. Now God speaks to Jeremiah. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have worried thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted they worried thee then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan for even thy brethren and the house of thy father even they have dealt treacherously with thee yea they have called a multitude after thee believe them not though they speak fair words unto thee <laughs> It's an incredible passage. I mean, God says they have been bad. I'm going to have to bring judgment. Jeremiah is like, God, I don't understand what's going on here. You know, how come you're not acting? Why are all these bad people prospering? You know me, and look what I'm going through. My own family relatives are against me. And God says, yes, they're against you. They want you slain because that's Anathos. We'll see in a minute. Can't get that word out. Is where he's from. And so... What happened for me as I was reading through this when I got to twelve, five, where God basically rebukes Jeremiah. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? That's probably meaning when the enemy comes in. But that in the land of peace wherein thou trusted. Personally, I think Jeremiah was getting slightly rebuked here because he had placed his trust in the land that he had always known as a land of peace. In other words, how can all this be happening? How come the people are falling apart? How come, God, you're not blessing those that are trying to stand for you? How come my family members are against me? His, his, His secure world, the bubble that he lived in, was starting to deflate. And he had placed his trust in the land that had been a land of peace for him. And now his world is getting rocked because it's kind of falling apart personally for him. His family's against him when they should be for him. The people in the town in which he grew up are are mad at him, want to see him die uh, dead. And God's going to bring judgment. And that got me thinking that that that. Verse 5 got me thinking about the dissolution of my own personal nationalism in relation to my country. I think it's fair to say that we live in America in what I am terming a post-Christian country. You know, I'm older than everybody here, obviously. So, you know, I'm born in 54. You know, I think Eisenhower was president then we were running on the high end of after post-World War II. I mean, because we had all this machinery in place that built everything, now we were prepared and fit to make refrigerators and washing machines and all this cool new stuff. And we were able to pump out really cool cars. Uh, We were building houses. I mean, it was just like Shangri-La. It was just an incredible time to be born into and, and grow through. So, you know, I 54, so 59, 60, my memory somewhere starting to form. So I went through the early 60s. I had all that really cool music. And the country's doing great. But then you come to the end of the 60s, which is my era, love, dope, peace, hippie life, everything. And, and we have Vietnam War. The country now is starting to just kind of fall apart. There's riots everywhere in relation to the war. You know, we're wanting peace. And so I've seen, you know, growing through that to where still even at that point, our, Christ, our country was kind of Christian. Um, you know, and God We Trust was still pretty good. But then you hit 73, have Roe versus Wade, abortion, then a school uh, a prayer and the Bible are taken out of school. And and we become basically a a very secularized country, to where God has been sort of shelved, and now it's just you know like I said last week you know it's just over for us. When you take abortion, uh, you take uh, the sexual promiscuity, which is the LGBT thing, homosexuality. Um, you know, and I forget all the other things I said. There was a third one in there. I don't remember. Then, uh, oh, now we had the Muslim issue, and then the fourth one: Christianity is a mess. There's, there's no hope. So I felt somewhat comforted by the fact that God, seemingly to me, is trying to get Jeremiah off the fact of personal nationalism. That's not where your hope is. Your country is not where you're supposed to find your security in. But I grew up in a country in which we found security. It was the greatest nation on the face of the planet. We were wealthy. I mean, back in the 50's one man could go to work, make a living, the wife could stay at home. Uh, Two-thirds of the country, it was illegal for the wife to work if she had children, if you can believe it. I mean, so, so we grew up in a time where you know, the wife was supposed to stay at home, be, be the housewife. Hi, Ward, when, you know, June Cleaver meets Ward at the door, leave at the beaver, and she's all looking nice with her pearls and everything, and she's got <laughs> everything ready for father, dad, and when he comes home. I mean, that's kind of what I grew up in. And now what do I see? the de-evolution of our country within my generation. And I'm somewhat like Jeremiah, shaken, and I'm feeling I'm being a little rebuked by God because, Warren, you've known all along (laughs) this is not it. But it's hard to not be an American with a little hurrah, yeah, be proud of America, want to put the flag out on the 4th of July and, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag and, you know, oh, say can you see, and all this nationalism, which I grew up in. So this is probably maybe more for me. I hope he gets something out of it, though. So I find myself functioning with my own disillusion of personal nationalism. And I feel so bad for my grandkids and my kids, really, that have grown up not knowing what I've known. Because this is all how it is supposed to be, because this is how it is. No, this is not what it was. Now, (laughs) some background on Jeremiah. Interestingly, this is kind of a side note. I I thought about this this morning. Jeremiah was probably his own greatest stumbling block. But yet, he kept on. And if you read through Jeremiah, the guy struggled. And we'll see a little bit of it. He just really struggled. He struggled with himself. He struggled with the fact that his family was out to get him. He struggled with the fact that God was going to bring judgment on his nation. He struggled with the fact that the preachers and the prophets and the priests and all that around him were, were, were giving a different message. And so he struggled. I mean, you find him under a juniper tree. You know, God, just kill me. And so I, I, I think for me, Jeremiah was probably one of the first guys I really identified with, because he's very emotional. He's not that stolid pastor or that stolid prophet that just stands strong and send all the errors you want, and they'll bounce off of me. He, he took a lot of it to heart and it weighed on him. But he stayed at it for 40 years. So anyway, um, all right, if you go back to chapter one, just some basic things here. He had a good Heritage. He was a priest by birth. And that's verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. So that's where we get the connection to what we just read, that the people of Anathoth were out to get him. So he had a good heritage. He was a priest by birth. Second, he will faithfully carry out the will of God on his life for about 40 years. And I, and I want to read the rest of chapter 1 because we get his mission. Uh, and you'll you understand why he had some of the difficulty that, that he had. So it says, verse 2, To whom the word of Jehovah came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. So he started at the tail end of it all, and it goes right up into when the enemy comes and, and the captivity starts. Verse four. Then the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, and this is so cool. This this you know lets us know. In the womb is life, all right? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, oh, Lord, Yehovah, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But Yehovah said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith Jehovah. Then the Lord uh, Yehovah put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And Yehovah said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of Yehovah came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, "'I see a rod of an almond tree.' Then said Yehovah unto me, "'Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it.' And the word of Yehovah came unto me the second time, saying, "'What seest thou?' And I said, "'I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north.' Then Yehovah said unto me, "'Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land.' For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith and they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worship the works of their own hands." Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land and against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith Yehovah, to deliver me. Sign me up. (laughs) Sign me up. Yeah, that sounds like uh, something I would like to just, you know, be jumping right into. I mean, God basically lays out, man, buckle up. You're going to be facing it. But I'm going to be with you. I will strengthen you if you'll look to me and trust me and proclaim my message. But, I mean, it's incredible. 18. I've made thee this day a defense city in an iron pillar. Okay. So, yeah, guy, what does that mean? Well, I'm making you a brazen of wall against the whole land, against the kings, against the princes, against the priests, against the people. He's against everything. He's against everything. You make, yeah, you know, you get a new job and you come, you're a little anxious and, and nervous, but usually you get a new job because you want that job, so you kind of go looking a little forward to it. I wouldn't wake up looking forward to this. And it's interesting, he picks Jeremiah. You know, I could see Paul doing this because, I mean, he went through everything, and you don't ever hear him saying, oh, oh, oh. oh. But Jeremiah, God picks Jeremiah, and you hear Jeremiah, as we'll see a little bit. God, what are you up to? He questions God. He questions himself. He doesn't understand why the people are responding as they are, even though God said it would happen. All right, so he's going to faithfully carry out the will of God on his life for roughly about 40 years. Thirdly, We've already looked at this, we won't look at it again. He had his personal world shattered by the knowledge that those closest to him wanted him dead. You know, you, you hope that your nation is going to remain as it you remember it, this peaceful land. But he's seeing it just disintegrate all around him. Then, if all right, so the world's going to hell all around me but at least I'll have my family and friends and neighbors. Well, he doesn't have any of that. And his world is shattered because the nation that he once wanted to believe in, he can't anymore, and and his life is in danger. Next. That takes us to where we are in our reading. Uh, Well, no, okay, that'll be the last thing I want to say. All right, he got severely discouraged. Go up to chapter 15. All right, just we're going to, just a little bit here. I just want you to get the feel of this man. So he got severely discouraged based on everything that I just said. So 15 verse 10, he says, "Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I've neither lent on usury nor Men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. Then go to verse 15. O Yehovah, thou knowest. Remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Then we have this verse of hope. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Yehovah, God of hosts. So that's what keeps him going. Then, verse 17, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand. For thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me? As a liar and as waters that fail? Therefore, thus saith Yehovah to Jeremiah, if thou return, in other words, get your act together, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, in other words, your seeing is all wrong, your perspective's off, you're, you're focusing on the wrong syllable, basically is what he's saying. If thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, the people, but not return thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fence, brazen wall. God has to reassure them. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith Yehovah. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of terrible, But you can just see what he's going through here. I'm suffering rebuke for your sake. I'm sitting alone because of your hand. What, what is going on? Is my pain ever going to stop? Is my wound never going to be healed? Why are you, God, are you lying to me, God? Are you like a stream that promised to bring refreshing waters and now it's drying up? Isn't this good stuff? It's so good. He's real. We can identify with him. He doesn't walk on water. Who can live up to the Apostle Paul? Nobody. I can kind of, I can't live up to Jeremiah, but at least I can be encouraged by the fact that, whew, he seems to struggle, just like a human being. So, uh, let's see. And then lastly, we've looked at it. He was reminded his national trust was misplaced. He went through the dissolution of his own personal in relation to his own personal nationalism. So that's a little bit about Jeremiah. He's just a cool guy. I admire him and I love him. All right, now, some highlights, point number two, some highlights of the message he proclaimed up to this point of of really where I'm, you know, where we are right now. Some highlights up to this point. And his preaching is pretty hard hitting. Now, one of the things that I found interesting and I try to do this every time now since coming into the Messianic movement and really thinking about it, I'm, I'm fascinated whenever the word Torah is mentioned in the writing. So, in, I'm not going to give them to you all, but in Jeremiah, he, he references makes reference to the Torah 11 times. And to me, I, I, I like in the writers to follow their mindset in relation to the Torah and, and what's going on around the Torah itself, how are the people responding, not responding? Why is this important? Does it, does it have any value for me today, for Christianity today, for the Messianic movement today? I mean, the Torah, God makes it plain. The Torah for us is Genesis or Revelation, but it's a term that you know, we use in Messianic and kind of bandy it about. But the Torah is, is, is preeminent, it's everything. And you cannot trifle with it. You can't toy with it. It's, it's, it's a, it is a terrifying thing to stand behind a pulpit with the word of God and have to speak for God. Yeah. It's a scary thing. And then all the baggage you bring with you, that's just in here, that you know about, I think it was Spurgeon that said every preacher, when he steps in a pulpit, his sins are following him into the pulpit behind him, you know, because we're still human. And so, to get up and talk about the Torah, I don't take, Luke doesn't take lightly, neither did Jeremiah, so much so that his preaching didn't win him friends, you know, what's a Dale Carnegie thing, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Jeremiah failed. <laughs> totally failed. Why? Because he preached a message that God told him to preach, and he stayed faithful to the Torah. And nobody wanted to hear it. And they were going to kill him if they could. So much so, you have a living demonstration of it when Yeshua, the Torah made flesh, is walking amongst the people you, you would think they would think this is wonderful. They want to throw them over the cliff and kill them. And they ultimately do. There's something about the fact that an openly proclaimed Torah message, not sugar-coated, not so that people will come and be tickled, there's something about that message that just puts you in jeopardy. And that's what we've been told. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If any man come after me, let him take up his cross, die daily, and follow me, Yeshua said. Why don't we hear that? Why? Yeshua said, you know, people want to... I'm getting off track here. But people came to and he said, why are you coming to me? Because of the healings and the food? That's not why I want you to be drawn to me. Tell you what, if you're serious, here it is. If any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Death, he mentions the cross is death. Be willing to die. That's why Paul said, I die daily. (sighs) So we're going to look at four of these 11 references. Hopefully I can do this quickly. All right, chapter 2. Need to drink something for my throat here. All right. I'm not going to try to give you all that needs to be said. If you're interested, you can maybe look into it yourself sometime. Because we're just going to pull it all out, all right? 2 8. The priest said not, Where is Jehovah? And they that handle the Torah knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So Jeremiah has to convey God's thoughts to the people. And, well, you know, he, it's like, you know, the audacity of Luke and I, not that we do this. To stand up and say, yeah, that preacher, he's not handling the Torah right. That preacher, that preacher, that preacher. As a matter of fact, coming into the Messianic movement, a lot, I didn't, thankfully, but I was a little bit older, maybe. But one well, of the first things we did was, in the Messianic movement, well, that pastor, that pastor, that church, that Christian, they're all going to hell. Right? <laughs> you know. Well, in essence, that's what Jeremiah has to say on God's behalf. They that handle the Torah don't even know God. And that comforts me because I've been saying for years, based on what Lester Roloff said when R.G. Lee, who was the president of the Baptist Southern Baptist Convention, Lester Roloff saying that R.G. Lee said that R.G. Lee feared, who was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention back in the, I don't know when, 40s, whenever it was, he feared that half of those 50% that were in Southern Baptist churches were lost. That's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, R.G. Lee, saying that, if I'm remembering all this correctly, back then in the good old days of Christian America, that in the church, 50% were lost. Where are we today? And how does that happen? The guys behind the pulpit No, not me, right? I don't know how else to explain it. How can people handle the Torah and try to do it faithfully if they don't know God? That's an oxymoron. It's like saying, I'm going to go work on Luke's car today because it broke down, but I've never been a mechanic, but I know how to fix it. That's just illogical. All right, second one. Go up to chapter 6. Oh, let's see. All right. Verse 18. Therefore, hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my Torah, but rejected it. The people had rejected the Torah. Uh, In 19. The Torah was rejected. I mean, there's nowhere to go but down once that starts to happen. All right, chapter 8 for the third one. This one's a little confusing. I'm going to read you a note from somebody, if I wrote it down. uh, Peter Pett. Uh, chapter 8, verse 8. Now, it's just a little confusing. How do ye say, if you were to just put quotes from, we are wise in the Torah of Yehovah is with us, and close quotes, then continue on. All right, so that's kind of, it's, it's somewhat confusing. But I'm going to try to make this clear. I had to do some studying on this. How do ye, the people say, we are wise. And the Torah of God is with us. Lo, certainly in vain made he it possibly describe. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. Uh, they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of Yehovah. And what wisdom is in them? Therefore will I give their wise unto others and their fields to them. And, and it just goes on. It just devolves from there. Who are the wise? Uh, they say, uh, how do you say we are wise and the Torah of Yehovah is with us when you're messing with it and giving an improper message? So Peter Pett said, um, what did I do with it? Okay. He says, yet they think that they are wise. You know, here, here's what they've done with the Torah uh You know they, they um, anyway, uh, yet they think that they are wise. they even claim to have the instruction of Yehovah 's Torah, but what they have is a distorted word produced and deliberately distorted by those who manipulate what is in the ancient texts. This is not speaking of false copying, describes, but of what they wrote down after supposedly considering what they had read. Does that make sense? Yeah? So they're basically, they know what they've read, but that's not what they want to produce. They kind of change it, make their own translation, their own new modern translation that reflects their own biases, but in the process, they are actually rejecting what the Torah says. And that's part of what I was saying. How, what a terrible thing, what an awesome thing it is to have to preach this book because there's not one preacher that doesn't struggle with his biases. There's not one preacher that gets behind the pulpit that doesn't have to fight himself and make sure he doesn't make the word say what. He wants it to say for his own ends. But preachers do that all the time. If not totally deliberately, they at least water down the message so that those that come, it's more palatable and nobody will be offended. When in Christian churches is the last time you've heard messages on hell and on sin and name sin and point the finger... And, and just shell the corn. We don't have that anymore. Why? We have buildings and ministries and salaries that have to be paid. We need an income for that. People! I want to suggest that if we got back to good old-fashioned old-time preaching, it would have the effect that we're afraid it wouldn't have. Did I say that right? I think people would respond positively because we know our lives are empty, those that are claiming to be Christians. We, we're just living like the world is nothing different. That's why the world gets saved, because they know their life is meaningless and empty. Christians go live that life and think they're having a great time. Right? And pastors want them to do that. Oh. <sighs> Forgive me here. I'm getting a little beyond where I was going to go with this. We cannot trifle. I've brought this up many times. We need preachers to get behind the pulpit. When we were in Scottsdale Bible Church and they were looking for a pastor and that one lawyer guy came, were you there for that service? And um, I've, I now mention it again. But he, he kind of forgot. He's a great preacher. He kind of forgot himself and ranted a little bit. And then it's like he caught himself. And stopped. And he was, if I remember he was walking back and forth. I mean, you know, this was not prima proper, but he had to respect the people. He stopped. And what happened? <laughs> Throughout the congregation, the people were clapping and amening. We cannot do what it said. We're, uh, hey, we're wise. And the Torah of Yehovah's is with us but yet manipulate it to our own ends. Can't do that. So the people were self-deluded concerning their relationship with the Torah. That's the third thing. They had to handle the Torah, knew him not, first one. The people had rejected the Torah, second one. The people were self-deluded concerning their relationship with the Torah. And then the fourth one. Go to chapter 9, verse 12 through 16. Okay, 12. Who is a wise man? He's already talked about there's basically no wisdom in the verse we just looked at. Who is a wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of Yehovah has spoken that he may declare? For what the land perisheth and is burned up like a wilderness that none passes through. And Yehovah saith because they have forsaken my Torah which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart and after Balaam which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith uh, Yehovah of Hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them even this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. You don't mess with the Torah because it leaves God no alternative but to have to respond in accordance to the Torah that he's given. That's why when we get saved, we enter into a covenantal relationship where Wow, I've been saved. And God said, okay, here are the terms. And we say, yes, sir, this is great. But then you kind of get into it. And after a while, you realize you didn't read the fine print. And you start to chafe against God and want it your own way. And God says, well, wait a minute. No, my son died for you. He shed his blood. You know what it cost him. You agreed to this. You came by faith. You have forgiveness of sins. Yes, it's free, but there's a life of obedience for your good and my glory. I want you to live Well, I didn't read about that. And this is what is happening. And God has to do some pretty tough stuff. And that's what God is going to have to do to God's people. And this is why Jeremiah is not liked. Who wants to go listen to that guy? Who wants to listen? That's what I feel about me. Who wants to go listen to me? It does not make anybody feel good, but it does. That's why I loved Lester Roloff and these old-time preachers because they preached hard. But I can remember sitting there at a big tent meeting with Lester preaching. I mean, he was just ripping into us. And it was like bomb to my sores. It was the truth is what I needed to hear. Somebody loved me enough to tell me what the Word of God says and not diminish it. And it was just... Water. It was drinking water. It was wonderful. All right. Where am I here? So um, let's see. Let's see. I fifteen six. This fits in with the fact that they rejected the Torah. Just <clears throat> what happens when you reject the Torah? Verse fifteen six. Thou hast forsaken me, saith Yehovah. Thou art gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. Holding back. So you forsake God, which is forsaking the Torah, you're just going to go backwards. Is the state of Christianity better off now than it was, let's just say, 50 years ago? No. You forsake the Torah, especially this part that I wrote on my blog, you know, oh, God is love, he sent Jesus, and Jesus is all love. We don't need all that bad stuff over there because that was for those bad Jews anyway, and he's freed us from that. Oh, those poor schmucks, they couldn't eat bacon, but man, we're going to chow down now. You know, we come to it with that kind of mindset, and it's just absolutely crazy because you forsake the Torah, it's just going to lead down and down and down to where God's people are decadent like Israel was, worshiping idols, being involved in uh, idolatrous prostitution with prostitutes at those temples. And, you know, we, I say this all the time, but when we went to uh, Boston to see that display about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and they had all these uh, archaeological things out there, the majority of it was idols, idols. Idols, tables full of little idols. You go to the tribe of Dan that they had the display of, it's just nothing but idols. And it's what God said. On every corner of Jerusalem, you have set up your idols. And we lose the fact, because it was those bad Jews over there, we're Christians, now Jesus is love. We are Israel. And we have to look at ourselves to see if those of us who claim the name of Yeshua, who have been grafted into Israel, are not declining, just like our forefathers did. We are! So, a nation Israel, that was built on the Torah, declined without the Torah. And that's the problem with our country. We have thrown God out, His word out, His morality out. Everything goes except for God. Everything's okay. You can say anything you want. You can be any religion you want. Try to get out there and talk about Jesus and he died for sin. There's nothing is sin anymore. Is anything sin anymore? How do you even define sin, as I said in my blog? Sin is a transgression of what? The Torah. We don't need the Torah. Jesus did away with it. So that's why our churches are filled with promiscuity, adultery. <laughs> How come? You know, all right, so as our nation declines through its rejection of the Torah and as our, maybe not for you, my personal nationalism starts to dissolve, what are we supposed to do? How do we cope with this? All of that to that. Because that's where I am. How do I cope with this? How do I deal with this? What is supposed to be my response? Well, I think there's some answers and that's what we're going to look at. What should be the outlook of God's people in a country such as ours that is just going further and further away from God? What are we who claim the name of Christ, who are born again, what are we supposed to, what's our outlook supposed to be like? All right. Let's see. I'm almost through. Okay. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This is a famous passage that, in my estimation, gets twisted. What should our outlook be? Well, we are to live subject to the higher powers. I can remember Lester off because he had been in jail. I don't know if it was two times by then for his homes that he wouldn't take a license for. And he preached on this in his booming voice. He said, I don't have any problems with the higher powers. It's the lower powers I have a problem with. (laughs) And I thought, well, that is so simplistically explanatory. That just made perfect sense to me. The higher powers. But whenever the lower powers disagree with the higher power, God's laws, we have to make a choice. We go with God. And that's why Lester Roloff, that's why John... Uh, Bunyan and Rope Pilgrim's Progress wouldn't take a license and spend all those years in jail because the higher powers went against the lower powers went against the higher powers. So we are to live subject to the higher powers until those powers overstep God. Verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And here it is. And the For there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. He said, I don't have a problem with a higher problem, uh power. Uh. Anyway, whatever, whatever I just I can't think anymore. Anyway, so there it is. There's no power but of God. So if the power that is in power is doing things contrary to God then we do just like the early church did in the book of Acts we submit to God not to man and it might cost you jail as it did with the early disciples it might cost you death <clears throat> I was going to read all this but I'm not going to you can read verses 1 through 7 <laughs> live and subject to the higher powers until those powers overstep God Second, we are to be good citizens while never letting that overtake our heavenly citizenship, loyalty, and responsibility. Let me say it again. We are to be good citizens while never letting that overtake our heavenly citizenship, loyalty, and responsibility. Go to Philippians chapter 3. I'm not saying be anarchists. I'm not saying overthrow the country. I'm just saying we who are believers have to just draw a line in the sand. If God said it, okay. If God said not to, okay. If man says, no, you can kill that baby. It's not life in the womb. Well, God, we've already read in Jeremiah, God said when he was, when he was in the womb, in the belly, God called him, life is in the womb. We that's non-negotiable. Um, all right, Philippians 3, verse, what? 17, brethren, I think this is right, yeah. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, he's just writing and tears are coming, that they are the enemies of the cross of Messiah whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now here's our verse. For our, this is what he's trying to give them hope, our conversation, our our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Yeshua Messiah, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So there it is. Our citizenship, our conversations in heaven. We're citizens of America, but our citizenship for those of us that are saved is is really in heaven. And our citizenship in this great country does not override our responsibility and our loyalty to the fact that we are already seated, Paul tells us in Ephesians, with Yeshua. We're already positionally there, that's our home. He's gone to prepare a place for us. We cannot sell out on that. <clears throat> All right, three. We need to see ourselves for what we truly are in this life, strangers and pilgrims. This is, ugh, so this is the end here. All right, go to Leviticus 25. We're going to look at four passages. Leviticus 25. We have to remember well, I almost gave you my conclusion. But we have to remember we're strangers and pilgrims here that we don't belong. We have to get that settled. Those in Yeshua have been picked out and Yeshua said if they hated me, they're going to hate you. All right, Leviticus 25, 23. The land... Dude, this is a whole message. God, I wish Israel... Would read the Torah. I just wish the Jews over there in Israel would read the Torah. It says, the land shall not be sold forever. 23, 25, 23, Leviticus. What does that mean? You don't sell the land. You don't get rid of the land for anything because it's not theirs anyway. It's God's. He's letting them tend it. For the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. You know, guys, you're just passing through. Don't get hung up. This land, it's mine anyway. It's not yours. Live on it. Be blessed. You, You follow me. I will send the rain. I will send the crops. I'll keep the bugs away. I'll give you health. I'll keep the enemies away. I will bless you. Just remember. That land is mine, and you are strangers and pilgrims. I'm letting you hang out here. I'm just letting you hang out. Enjoy it. All right, go up to Psalm 119. This is one of those verses that I told you I I recite just before I read in the morning. Psalm 119. And... uh, at 17, 119, 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy Torah. Why? I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. I just love that. I'm a stranger here, God. I need you to be close by. I need to sense you, know you. I, I long for you to run this world as you see fit. But in the meantime, I'm a stranger here. I'm a stranger. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. In other words, I'm trying to get us to see we should not get ourselves overly anchored to this world and this life because this is not our home. 1 Peter 2.11. Uh, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There is a war waged against the soul and a good bit of that battle is we want more of the world than God wants us to and we forgot that we're just strangers and pilgrims here. And then the last one, Hebrews chapter 11. It's a chapter of faith. Oh, let's see. What's the verse? It's, you don't want to read the whole chapter. But anyway, it's talking about all these great people, the names we know. And then it says, verse what? 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they would have gone back. They might have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Woo-hoo. That's the mindset we're supposed to have as God's people. Live subject to the higher powers until those powers overstep God. We're to be good citizens while never letting that overtake our heavenly citizenship, loyalty, and responsibility. And we need to see ourselves for what we truly are in this life, strangers and pilgrims. God saved us and set us here to keep our sights focused to where our home is, but he wants us to be lights now. And if we get stuck to the tar baby of sin, as Lester would say, we're useless. If we get stuck to the tar baby of living for this world and everything we can get out of it, we're headed for trouble. He saved us to be lights in the darkness, not become as close to the dark around us as we can and still have a little bit of light there needs to be something about us somehow, and I I don't have the answer for this, that when the world unsaved look at us and our lives and how we live, that they see something in us that they know is missing in them and want to know why we are as we are. But we've reversed it. We see something in them that they're not happy with, but we want it because look how happy they look. You talk to people that are lost, if they'll be honest, deep down inside, because this is what finally brings people to Yeshua, is there's an emptiness. And it's because God, we're told in Genesis, breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That thing in us is placed there by God Almighty, and nothing, 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 nothing will satisfy that except Yeshua. Right. So I got thinking about this hymn or song and closing with this. Some of you may remember this. this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open doors and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. Right. But this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels are beckoning me from heaven's open door. And you know what? I can't feel at home here anymore. That's where we need to arrive. Not feeling at home here. Because I believe, as things wind down, as God's calling out His people, it's going to be that thing in us that says, "I don't want this anymore. I don't belong here." Even so, come Yeshua, like the psalmist, my soul breaketh for the longing of the day. Judgment at all times. I'm a stranger here, and until God's people, as a whole, whatever that is, start to hunger and long for what is important from God's perspective, we're just delaying our return home. He needs to prepare a bride. And I do believe he's doing that now. And praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and just for speaking to me and I hope it will be a blessing to ever whoever may hear this. I know I go long and tend to put a lot in there, but somehow just take that one or two things that may touch somebody and change us, change me. I'm sick of being me. I'm, I'm sick of preaching messages that I'm convicted over. <sighs> Thank you that I have the assurance that because I'm in Yeshua and he's preparing a place for me that when I die, absent from the body, is present with him. Even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus. Amen.